This episode of Lightning Strikes Thrice is brought to you by our incredible patrons, patrons like Nathan and Big Lee Teats. If you want to... <laughs> If you want to help us keep making the show like they do, you can visit pitchdrop.cash and contribute as little as a buck a month. We really appreciate it, but we appreciate it more if your username is also funny. listening to lightning strikes thrice the jrpg games club podcast this is season eight episode eight yeah probably this is season eight episode eight covering labyrinthos in xenosaga episode three i'm your host chris taylor my pronouns are he him and with me today is ryan Beatty. they them kyle thompson he they someone tell me what happened last episode after seeing Xion's father, Suo, at the site of an accident, Alan and Xion followed him to the Utic base Labyrinthos. There, they learned the vessels of Anima existed deep inside the facility. In order to reactivate their ESs and return to their original world, the gang decided to steal the vessels of Anima. One encounter with the Black Testament Voyager later, Cosmos was reawakened in an upgraded state and the party gathered together to enter the tower. Uh, our special guest, Kyle, has also some minor corrections for us that I think y'all will think are interesting. I right. hate it when my Elasticsearch instances get terminated. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, in a previous episode, y'all said that Land of the Chateau was a part of Israel that had been... Is uh, that true? Yes, that it, well, well huh. like, what do you mean? Is it true? Is it true that I you thought, said it? Yes, yes. I thought we thought it came from Lost Jerusalem. Yeah, it, we said it Lost does come from Lost Jerusalem, but you also said it was from Israel. Okay. Oh, I think that I think I was maybe conflating my dumb embassy joke. <laughs> it was the dumb embassy joke. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, it's an actual place in france land le chateau and uh it is connected to a ridiculous conspiracy theory that was i believe written by this guy pierre plantard and he has this book oh no okay sorry there's this book called the holy blood and the holy grail from 1982 which was published by michael bajan richard lay and henry lincoln and they said that this guy, Sonier, found documents implying that the descendants of Jesus and Mary Magdalene were connected to the French royalty. <laughs> Sonier found them in his church in a Visigothic pillar in 1891. <laughs> so, yeah, it goes on to say here in this wiki that there are some theories developing around, around Lenle Chateau and uh, Sonier 
that said that the Catholic Church was paying the priest vast sums to buy his silence because he knew all about the Holy Blood, also known as the Holy Grail or the Sangreal, the, the Saint Grail. Can I assume this is what that Jay-Z album was about? Yeah. <laughs> being the bloodline of Christ, he might have even discovered the grave in which Christ has been buried. Arch heretics such as the Templars and the Cathars once were the safekeepers of this secret. It was also the reason why Sonia lost his belief and got involved with trendy occultist and maybe even Satanist circles in Paris, featuring the original composer Claude Debussy, the Belgian symbol oh. symbolist playwright Maurice <laughs> Maitolink, or that other decadent writer Joris Carl Huysmans. So yeah, also do blah, 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 blah. So basically, <laughs> it's this whole book that like traces back this bloodline to the fact that Jesus actually fucked Mary Magdalene and had kids and they like fled the Holy Land to the southern France. And then it was like, yeah, the when the Templars and the Cathars were suppressed by the Catholic Church, it was to cover up the Holy Bloodline. And like the fact that it's like related to the the royal line of France, and it was they were it was like this elaborate effort to try to like trace down who is the true descendant of Jesus, and like why should they be the king of Europe, kind of thing. Yeah. So this obviously is the kind of bullshit that is exactly grist for the mill for a Xeno Gear slash Xeno Saga game. <laughs> Yeah. And it's the reason why, you know, you have stuff like Ormus and all that kind of thing, which is like kind of analogous to this like Templar, Cathar, like preservation of the true bloodline of Christ stuff. What I love about Xenosaga is that it takes Nietzsche, the Bible, and Da Vinci Code-ass conspiracy theories with equal weight when it comes to textual influence. Just it's like, yes. All of these are influences for us, and we're going to treat them all as true. Also, you know, the fact that there are 13 vessels of anima and 12 of them are named after the tribes of Israel, like the lost 13th tribe thing was also an extremely silly bullshit conspiracy theory that was extremely popular in the 70s and 80s. So just love this shit so much. Like it was even popular around the turn of the millennium because like, like, I remember watching this documentary on CBC, like, the Canadian broadcasting company, about how, like, Israel was, like, I don't know, sending people out to find the 13th tribe or some bullshit. Like, <laughs> it, it's so wild. And then, oh, yeah, I also have to say that, like, one other thing that's important here is that the Cathars, like, one of the reasons why they were suppressed by the Inquisition was because they were Gnostic heretics. Oh, and, shit. of course, the other influence on this game series is Gnosticism, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not just the Bible. It's also, like, Gnostic bullshit. Right. Except in this game, Gnosis isn't, like, secret super knowledge that, like, get, gets you into heaven. It's actually, like, encounters with the Lovecraftian horror that is God. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Which is a kind of secret knowledge in a it, way. It is a kind of secret knowledge, but it's not the like I. It, it's it's not a secret in the sense of the secret, which is right. like right. our modern day version of Gnosticism. Mm. Mm. Also, to be fair, ceasing to exist is kind of like getting into heaven. <laughs> Just yeah. as good to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, okay, but like for the Gnostics, like Gnosis is basically like being really high level in Scientology. It's like, oh, it's like I have superpowers now because I have Gnosis. Mm-hmm. I love to break the religion damage limit. That's right. That's exactly that's exactly what Gnosticism is like. Oh, God. I have been patiently waiting for five minutes to ask: Do you think Jesus ever used the stigmata as a cock ring? <laughs> fucking Christ. <laughs> oh my god, literally fucking oh, Christ. God. And, and <laughs> also also like of course all the stuff of Jesus and Mary Magdalene is also like connected in with like uh the last temptation of Christ that movie, right? Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All this bullshit that probably like the creators of this game grew up with. The Last Temptation is way less impressive when you remember that he dies. Not that it was a good temptation. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it like he's like 40 on the cross? Isn't that... I don't know. Isn't that the Last Temptation? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, Chris, why don't don't you start us off here? I love that the crucifixion was so long just so he could do Usher's confessions to, like, some thief. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) We start this episode with the storming of Labyrinthos. Everyone's like, hey, we got fake IDs. Time to sneak in until Alan's like, oh, actually, we have some, we have the beta IDs. They're not very good. Sorry. (laughs) And Ziggy and Jesus go like, well, we're going to have to kill somebody eventually. (laughs) Just and then run at the guards. <laughs> it's so funny because like security has been heightened and shit and we're they're just like yeah let's bust in and it when this is funnier to me because all the UTIC guards have names like you just yeah. charge in and murder like Dan. <laughs> it's so it's good. not UTIC grunt it's Dan very funny should have mm. said that in the battle menu. Uh, <laughs> And from this point, the professor and Scott are guest units in your party, which is so funny to me. Because if you <laughs> think about the cutscenes later where they're not present, just imagine them hanging out while she <laughs> just trauma dumps in front of everybody. Oh my god. <laughs> and they're just like, yo, what the fuck? Amazing. <laughs> the dungeon starts off slow, but you loop around once on the first floor to get a segment address that if you were smart, you have a key for. From my magis, it gives Jin a uh, super strong weapon that makes him your strongest physical attacker by a mile for this dungeon, especially if you have the Venom Ring still. For a while, you're on a straight path because your assault has uh, triggered a security lockdown. Who could have foreseen this outcome? (laughs) But eventually, you blow your way into the vents, which are comically tall because they did not want to make a crawling animation for Shion. They're just like a human (laughs) can walk through these tall. Yeah. And you chart a new path into new areas. So we're we're back aesthetically into Xenomasaga's like generic r- red and gray metal sci-fi zone that sometimes UTIC stuff is plagued with. But it's like I will the say, intro dungeon with um Junior in that Xenosaga one. Yeah. But but I will say that the dungeon ecology of this first floor is pretty 
good because it is built like a research facility with like a security room and shit instead of just a dungeon. Also, there are a few good break shit rooms and there's one, a very sleepy guard. It's very, it's cute. As the party continues on, Shion catches sight of a sign that says Area 13 with like a red restricted door off to the right. She asks Cosmos if Area 13 rings a bell, and Cosmos responds, Based on our prior excursions, this should be the special equipment transport elevator linked to the acute neurosis treatment facility. Shion takes this logical fact and concludes, Ah, yes, this goes right to mom's room. At a certain point, it's like everyone's kind of like, Yeah, okay, we're not here for that, which is you know, deeply fucked up, but also true. It's like, Shion uh, has found out all these revelations about her mom and her dad and how, like, just dramatically bizarre and tragic her childhood was. And she can go see her mom right now, but actually they have to take an elevator somewhere else. They're on a mission. The other revelation later, the cutscene is, is written so funny. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll talk about it soon. At a certain point, Cosmos will tell you that the elevator is the only access to the Vessels of Anima Research Lab. This advice sucks because the elevator is security locked. So instead, we continue into the office block. Among the chests in here are more gin-centric upgrades like his swimsuit and also some ES parts. As an excellent bonus, there's a very sleepy guard. You get close enough, you find out that he's asleep. This is the break shit room, and... You can smash open everything except for the one big item without waking him. But if you blow up the giant maximum output destructible, he wakes up and charges inside for a fight. Well, first of all, maybe don't yell maximum output. And second of all, <laughs> I'm very glad they finally managed to make it so that the swimsuit was not the objectively best piece of equipment in the entire game. Yes. Thank God. There's a trade-off. Yeah. Oh, man. Like, I was, I was wondering, like, does... Shion's swimsuit increase your chances of getting a successful steal? Mm. Like, are those relevant stats for stealing stuff? Probably. Like, luck is the relevant stat for stealing stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's why I was using it the other day. And I was like, is this armor really that good, though? Like, it's... I, I don't know. <laughs> well, no, it's not, because it doesn't give you permahaste plus two attack and plus 20% experience like all the other games. <laughs> Yes, very true. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking wild you would put all those things together on the same piece of armor. I also love the fact that the only way down to the vessels of Adima Research Lab is an elevator, so Labyrinthos totally is not up to code. No. Uh -uh. All right. So we next move on after the uh, silly maximum output thing, which I love because it's just it's just one of those other things in this game where... They always have to include, like, at least one section of fuck you for just blowing everything up. Yeah. I was just doing that section of the game last night where there's the chest on the tree. And, you know, if you if you break the branch holding up the chest, it just goes down into the river. And my first thought was obviously like, oh, I just have to go downstream to get the chest. And then I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> No, <laughs> I love I love this is one of those fuck you things. <laughs> yeah. They could put yeah. 5000 civilians on a destructible bridge and I would still push the square button. <laughs> <laughs> it's Chris Taylor's version of the trolley problem. <laughs> yeah. hey buddy, we called it. I got a trolley solution. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
So we go into a puzzle time section. Up ahead, there's a five by five grid of shattering crates. You blow one up, any crates adjacent to it will fly away until hitting a wall. The goal is to maneuver one to the top left or top right corner and detonate it, shattering the wall there to progress. The top left exit contains a D-guard for your mechs. The top right continues on and also gives you a bunch of cash. But none of that matters. I don't know why it's so much. It's Yeah, it's a lot of money. It's like, it's 50,000. <laughs> I mean, that's just like a pittance when it comes to human experimentation money. So, yeah, you know, that's fair. They just had, they had so much that they just had to like put it in a pile somewhere. Counterpoint. I'm using it to buy a bunch of should be illegal pharma. So that was plenty of money. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So this is a fun little puzzle. The relationship between the boxes is pretty immediately understandable, but you still have to do some puzzling out over spatial relationships and thinking a couple of steps ahead. There mm -hmm. have been vastly fewer puzzles in episode three so far, and so this was a welcome return to the dungeon puzzle that we used to get a ton of in the Xenosaga series. Oh my god, Xenosaga 2 had a puzzle every screen and it rocked. Yeah. Yeah, I think like, the puzzles in Xenosaga 3 are all generally pretty comprehensible and kind of fun to solve. Like, I, I think there's not enough of them, but the ones that exist are all pretty good. Yeah. And that's pretty unusual in a JRPG dungeon. Totally. Like, usually the puzzles suck as much as the puzzles you would find in a Dungeons & Dragons module. <laughs> if not more. The ones in Xenoblade Chronicles 2 aren't even puzzles. It's that the area is massive and you have to go 30 minutes out of your way to cross a gap. It sucks <sighs> so bad. God. Oh, yes. the uh, that That's that's classic JRPG dungeon design. As soon as, soon as they like came up with like, oh, we have like a 3D camera. We can show people things in the distance that they'll want to get to and then just fuck with them as much as we possibly can. So... We round the corner and we get a cutscene, and Sellers is just shit talking Mizrahi in the calls. He says, I don't care if you want to obsess over that doll of your daughter, but keep in mind we have an actual objective here. <laughs> and Miss <laughs> fucking owned. Mizrahi realizes, look, you and the Whittacott boy have the drive here. I just don't care. Go do whatever. And then just like fucking Charlie Brown Christmas song his way into the <laughs> laboratory. <laughs> Momo. Having never met a daddy issue she didn't want to confront and talk about at length, decides to <laughs> run into her father's lab. Timeline, be damned. And she does the, oh, gee, I got lost, mister, for like five seconds before he's like, no, you're bad. You're a horrible liar. Why don't you help me out, Rialin? I'm not a reality. No, I could tell, which, okay. He lays out that all of his research into the Zohar, the U UMN, and Udu was all trying to snatch back his daughter's consciousness from the realm of death, to put it into a Realian shell. The Unus Mundus network, just as the name implies, is a collective subconscious that's existed since the universe was born. By researching the Zohar, he discovered human consciousness inside the UMN. In fact, it seemed like human consciousness came from and returned to the UMN with birth and death. But he never figured out the how of it. And what's more, nothing he did turned up traces of Sakura. And Momo seems like extremely bummed out by this. Yeah. And then he goes, that's okay, though. The girl he's designing, who he calls a 
second daughter will be her own woman, probably the hope of all realian kind, which like a lot to put on this kid. <laughs> yeah, for real. Okay, mm. so two points. This is the kind of shit that I, when I was younger, I used to come to JRPGs for. Are these like massive universe spanning revelations that are just delivered in a conversation in a cutscene? Like, we've been wondering what the UMN, which the entire universe is built onto in Xenosaga's world, like, they're relying on this to just like be extra galactic and they, to d- they do drive shit. ships through it. Yeah, yeah. The, it's, fucking mm. unreal how much they rely on the UMN and now we find out that it is this like eternal collective unconscious that we all return to when we die and it's just like you know Mizrahi and Momo are just like chatting about this I love this shit what I like is I like all I, I like the um like the humanization of Momo and Mizrahi's relationship here because now that they're trying to do the face turn for Mizrahi, yes. their relationship is like extremely weird. So it was mm-hmm. good to like square the circle on that. That's exactly what it's like. We were talking about having problems with the face turnization, as you said, of Mizrahi last episode. And I think that this episode, they kind of, they nail it. They, they stick the landing. And I think the other thing that can be implied by this is like, you know, my guess is that in Xenosaga episode one, they, they like the creators of the game really did want Mizrahi to look like the villain. Who knows if the roadmap was planned out far enough that they knew that they were going to have this turn. But with this scene here and also the scenes with like Sellers and Kevin and shit, it's a lot more believable. And also the fact that like everyone's memory of the Milshin conflict in the universe is extremely hazy now that we're seeing what like actually happened. It's like, oh, people don't remember this right. And so it's much easier now to believe that someone like Wilhelm put out a deliberate smear campaign in order to paint Mizrahi as the architect of all of this for really fucked up reasons. And so it it's is... like, yeah, oh, go ahead. No, go, I'm done. I was going to say, it is weird that they added the bad dad trope Sin Eater for Shion, though. <laughs> like, <laughs> just got to absorb all the bad dad tropes from Mizrahi into Shion's dad. Yeah, yeah. And it comes like out of it. fucking nowhere. <laughs> yeah, Monolith Monolith is just out here like, well, we have to have one bad dad. Like, there has to be a Gento. Just that, like, Spongebob, yeah, what if we push it over here meme? <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely got to be at least one Gendo. It just would not be okay otherwise. This right. game is nothing but Gendos Gendoing at each other. <laughs> it's true. Pretty every, much. Every villain is just steepling their fingers at every other villain. <laughs> it's so good. So good. Uh, the, other, the other thing about these JRPG as plot twists here is that if you're diligently reading the database, it's all been set up. It's all been uh-huh. seeded. It's all like consistent with what the game has presented so far. And so it can be out mm-hmm. of the blue if you're not paying attention, but it's out of the blue in a way that totally makes sense. It's so hard to keep up with the database of this game. Yes. Every episode I read like 20 of them and then I open a database chest that has like 18 more and I'm absolutely <laughs> devastated. <laughs> Yeah. Regarding Mizrahi's redemption, there is a section in Xenosaga 1 that does point to this being planned, which is, I don't know if you've already mentioned it, but uh, Junior basically shit talks Mizrahi in front of Momo, and Momo says, like, 
like basically he's like, oh, he, you know, he gives the Wilhelm line about like, oh, he was a lunatic who like, you know, went on this like terrible research program that destroyed Milsha, et cetera, et cetera. And Momo says like, daddy wasn't like that. Okay. So, but to be fair, immediately yeah. after that, you see him cackling on a ledge of the flaming labyrinthos, basically just like a doom speeching. So the game is just painting Momo as I don't want to believe that. Not that that's not true. Right. But he's, he still did do the thing. Yeah. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. I mean, if you go back to like Zito gears, like they have the whole like Krellian redemption arc, which is even more wild than the Mizrahi one. So they do love to have like, you know, the bad scientist who is beyond good and evil. Yeah. For sure. Oh, Ryan, just you wait. You'll love the villain redemption arc. And- Redacted. Because what if it turns <laughs> out he was sad, evil because he was sad? Oh, well. <laughs> Listen. And, and, and Matt cut this. I'm not, I'm just, not, not because it's, not because it's rude, just because it's it's spoilers, but like, you know, I have more goodwill for evil because sad than you, but I just got through a massive, massive Yeah, I like it. I like it, all right? So, with all of that, uh, Mizrahi suggests that Momo go find her friends. He's going to stop them to save the world his daughter is about to be born into. So, all of these revelations and potential alleged retcons, but we're not sure later, Momo has gone from, I'm a surrogate clone that failed, to being the advanced technological hope of a species. Also, like, the fact that, we've touched on it a little bit, but the fact that Mizrahi was immediately where Yuli Mizrahi took an entire game and a half to get to, where he's just like, yeah, no, you're also my daughter. You're different. And that's beautiful. It's great. Okay. This is weird to me though, because Mm -hmm. like they have just invented transgenic realians. So it is designing the savior of a species at the same time you're designing a species. That's very weird. It is, oh, it's extremely weird, and it speaks to the hubris of Utic in general. I mean, it's like, you know, Professor Mizrahi is, or Dr. Mizrahi is, we see him in a good light, but he's still doing a lot of, like, genetic experimentation and human experimentation and person experimentation in ways that are pretty deeply fucked up. He's not, like, good guy. He's just yeah. good dad. So it's different. He a freak. Yeah, the, I mean, yeah. the the best <laughs> things you can say about him is like, maybe ends justify the means. Maybe he's a caring dad, so that's redemptive. No, he's science Kratos. That's the kind of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he's, I, I guess it's like he's not super villain tier bad he's just kind of like what if we did science on humans because we could bad right yeah totally so especially with momo being an artificial humanoid of tube birth this is 
almost certainly a parallel to Xenogears's Emeralda, yeah. who is the nanomachine daughter of a scientist and his infertile wife. Yep. Also, like Momo, a lot of her plot details are optional or cut from the game due to catastrophic development issues. Um, that is definitely felt with Emeralda. I feel like Momo gets a totally complete arc. It's uh, the Sybil has been kind of referencing how troubled Xenosaga 3's development was and how it's held together with like yarn and glue, but it does feel like it squares the circle so often in this first half of the game at the very least so you know it, yeah it feels compressed but not incomplete yeah yes it's totally very different from xeno gears like mm -hmm. i think that's one of the things about the dungeons in this game that it's like when i was playing through it the first time i was really holding it to like against the standard of xeno gears disc 2 and being like damn they really managed to pull this off, huh? Like, yeah. like this is a game. It's it's not like a slapdash visual novel. <laughs> yeah. I'll just say, like, if this is the completion of Momo's arc, even though it's compressed, it feels good. And we've got so much game to get through that, like, you know, I don't I don't know what the second half of this game looks like. But bad news. Momo is like Steiner. <laughs> she'll just be there she'll be there for the entire rest of the game and say yes i agree okay yeah like i was thinking what even would momo's arc be going forward with out a sort of realian issue or a daddy issue to deal with but who knows mm -hmm. i mean if there were actually another two games i'm sure they would have come up with something but yeah it Look, doesn't feel I essential say, i know it's hard I know it's hard, right? Like, there are not that many JRPGs that pull off character development for all characters throughout the entirety of their runtime, right? It's mm, like right. Final Fantasy X and thirteen, really, as far as, like, the really big mainstream ones go. Yeah. Because otherwise, people just take their turns having their plot arcs and then hang out for the rest of the time. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Especially with all the constraints that were put upon this game in particular. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if the worst thing we could say about it is it turns into a regular JRPG, they did a nice job gluing it together. Okay. Yeah, Come real. on, nothing about this game will ever be regular. <laughs> <laughs> So back to the action, uh, you can now return to your infiltration and a few generic hallways later, another daddy issue cutscene kicks off, this time with the party finding themselves out of sight of Team Kevin and Suo. Rather than follow them through the now unlocked security door, the party checks on where they came from, a computer filled closet to the side. 
it's a personal data server, which is clearly being used for whatever quote-unquote the experiment is about. Momo looks through one terminal and goes, this name, while the professor and Scott fuck around with one another in the background. Shion simply- Love him. Go ahead. <laughs> I said love him. Yeah. Just a reminder that the professor and Scott were there hanging out while Momo just had feelings with her dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of like those scenes where it's like those scenes where like Cosmos is like technically in the party but is never displayed on screen and then you just get Cosmos mm-hmm. appears out of nowhere. <laughs> great. Yeah. Good old uh technical limitations of of the engine. Uh, I guess they just have a limit on how many characters they can display on screen. Yeah, anyway, Shion simply goes yeah, yeah, my mother, I know, in response to this name. And then Momo goes, no, silly, the next one down. It's Shion's name. And at this point, Shion goes completely apeshit again and starts blaming Jin for this. This is the thing I think is so funny. Mm-hmm. It does the absolute zero gravity given to the, this reveal. Oh, no, the other one. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, I mean, we all know. My mom is a human well, experimentation subject, but Jin! And we know we've been your therapist, Shion. Fuck off. <laughs> Look, I would like to give Shion some leeway here because of all of the trauma that she is experiencing both throughout the course of this game and also all of her childhood trauma that she is forced to relive. So, like, you know, lashing out at maybe the wrong person uh it's understandable to me i you know Shion stays my favorite character here so you know i'm okay with this it's not fair but i'm okay with this buddy that pause look pause is when i made the vince mcmahon excited face (laughs) 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 so used to you trying to do a well thought out rebuttal to be memeing (laughs) i i I, I mean, I will just say, like, I am a Xion defender, but I like Xion because she's really fucked up and kind of <laughs> unlikable in some ways. Yes. She's so messy. She's oh, she, so messy. she's so, so, so messy for 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 a uh for a female protagonist in a JRPG, she's like number one messy. Look. This is my campaign for Xion. Mentally ill queers for mentally ill queens. <laughs> yeah, yes. No, like, uh, I, I, I definitely identify with a lot of her, like, bizarre neurodivergent behavior. <laughs> yes. <same. laughs> New problematic fake position you can take doing queer erasure to Xion because Cosmos is technically a robot. <laughs> 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 doing queer erasure because you deny the sapience of like AI. <laughs> <laughs> so to point out how way out of fucking bounds this is <laughs> for Xion to do at the time, Jin was 22. He was away from home regularly being a weeaboo super spy for Helmer as a Federation <laughs> operative. And in a week's time from now, 
He will be redeployed to this planet and cut out Margulis's eye before the place is sealed away inside of two black holes forever. <laughs> and I'm sorry that he didn't have time to go to the payphone to call you and say, rough time about your mom and dad, huh? Don't worry about it, though. Your dad's about to get blown up. And also, like, he's also Suo's son, so I don't know. Like, he's got his own shit to deal with in terms of being the son of an absolutely terrible father and having his mom, like, just be uh, in a vegetative state, so... No, he's busy being a ghost in the show protagonist. (laughs) Very true. I mean, not, yeah, like, I feel like he would be the the exchange student character in a Ghost in the Shell anime. God. In in the same way that, like, Mai is a character who is totally from a completely different anime and has nothing. Yeah. 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 Mai is, like, for out of power stone. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, I I am so mad that Jin is so cool. I'm so mad that Jin is so cool because it's so fun to clown on him for being such a fucking dork ass dork. And he's look so all cool. those things can be true. Like, yeah. let's be real. Sal Sal also a huge dork. <laughs> <laughs> true. <laughs> true. God. <laughs> Lol said Sal Sal. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta start looking up Romance of the Three Kingdom memes. I bet there are some good ones. Oh yeah, uh, you know it. <laughs> I mean, he is he. Yeah, it's 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 ripe ripe for the memeing. Before anybody could really dig into like the problematic family backstory a little further, Scott just activates a window, and suddenly we're just like looking into the tyrant facility of <laughs> the like gross as hell combat realians with sword arms and test tubes. Woof. I don't know about how I feel about Junior pegging these. Uh, Junior instantly... (laughs) (laughs) Junior instantly... Look, they have sapiens! Junior instantly identifies them as the prototypes Utic deploys in the conflict shortly. Xion continues being um, way less smart than she should be. It just says, those are the realians that killed mom. Come on, dude. Why are they here? (laughs) The professor just says, well, I'm going to guess the people who deploy them shortly developed them here. And then Xi'an's response says, Kevin killed mom. That's impossible. And like, (laughs) bruh. (laughs) It's God. Yeah. No, I love this is like the this is like Attack on Titan levels of every single episode. Just how can we make Kevin more and more problematic? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so good. And then it's all gonna come to a head in a second, and it feels so good when it finally does. So this is very Final Fantasy VII reminiscent with all of the like reveal of the Genova chimeras. Oh also yeah, very- in, in Nibelheim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Also kind of reminiscent of like one of the only good scenes in Alien Resurrection. I like this shit. It is it, because again this is so compressed it's just like here we have a disturbing but kind of funny character moment with Shion and then we move on but like you know there are tons of these combat realians and they look fucked up. Wait, are you seriously implying that the scene where two identical robots play the flute for half an hour isn't good? 
I love that. Look, that's not good, but I love that it's in that movie for 30 minutes. That rocks. Yeah. I saw that in a theater. (laughs) No, that movie rules, and it is also really bad. (laughs) You know what? Real talk, all of the all of the new alien movies have been good. Yeah, no, I I I agree. I I love Prometheus and Alien Covenant, and both of them are just catastrophic messes but also great oh no it's covenant not resurrection yeah oh you oh, were wow. thinking of covenant right yes that's yeah, the was. flute yes yes <laughs> no Re- resurrection is the one that's directed by jean-pierre Jeunet of amelie fame and written by joss whedon and just the worst tonal clashes in the world the whole time Ooh. but it somehow is that manages- the third one it's the fourth one Fourth one, yeah. Oh my god, I forgot that exists. Yeah, it is bad, but also there is a good scene of, like, unveiling of a bunch of chimeras in tubes that is disturbing and sad, and I like it. Hell yeah. And then Jin just has to stop her from running out of the room, and we just cut the scene with Xion apologizing for being extremely moody. I, I just, I feel like that is a thing that people would do but it's like you don't have to apologize for your entire <laughs> worldview collapsing right a- it, yeah. as you're literally having to in physical reality revisit the horrible trauma of your childhood that you've suppressed Actually, I want to cycle back to this because this a lot of the impact of this is lessened because of how we make this podcast week to week but it was less than an hour of game time ago where you see Suo trying to play nice dad to Xion when she comes into the right. lab, knowing that in a week or less, she's in the test tube ready to go. Yep. Yeah. Yep. He yeah. is a monster. Yeah. And like, yeah, she Xion is getting owned by life over and over and over again. And I think you're right that like because we record this podcast every two weeks, that impact can be lessened. But yeah, it is relentless. Mm-hmm. Well, good news. Kevin Winnicott is as terrible at OPSEC as he is at ethics. His security card level B is glowing on the terminal when the cutscene ends. Even better. The door that just opened, which Suo and Kevin passed through, loops us back to the beginning of the dungeon, right next to the elevator Cosmos called out earlier. We now descend into Terminal Dogma. So, this is a godsend of dungeon design. So, I just want to... We're probably going to have some of this stuff in in the wrap-up section, but the fact that it loops back and there's no backtracking, and then but it still feels like a complete space because of the loop, is great. It is great. It's that thing that, like, Lords of the Fallen wanted to do, where, like, a space feels like a logical space, but Mm -hmm. without the problem of, well, yeah, but if you just make, like, a space that is meant to be filled up by people and papers or whatever, that's not a good game space. Like it avoids that problem while still feeling like, Oh yeah. Like this makes sense as like a hospital slash research facility. They solved that in the surge. Uh, That's, that's good. Mm -hmm. They do do it. I'm going to say better than Bethesda has still been doing it. (laughs) Yeah. 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 
We're just here's a tunnel to a fake wall that's also the entrance. Don't worry about it. Yep. <laughs> so Terminal Dogma was a joke in the notes, but also like this is very, very reminiscent of like Evangelion's secret base endgame in a lot of ways. Even though we like knew that nefarious shit was happening in Labyrinthos, this is like our deepest dive into it. And so you know, it does. Labyrinthos it, is like the nerve of the world, right? Absolutely. Yeah, totally. totally. Yeah, it is. So, after crawling through some more vents, we finally reach our own personal Lilith. It is the Zohar and Proto Omega <laughs> with Suo, Mar- Margulis, and Kevin discussing the politics of the situation. For 14 years, apparently, Margulis was loyal to Heinlein over his on paper boss, Pope Sergius saying that Proto-Omega is, quote, too powerful for the old fool, no matter how obsessed he is with it. There's some chatter about how it needs to go off at the same time as the Federation's attack for cover, and then we get sweet, sweet exposition. Margulis basically thinks that the immigrant fleet's job is to collect and build the lost pieces of God, and that, you know, that God robot can return them to their exiled homeland. And it also really makes it sad that Heinlein is such a dick to him in current timeline, because he's, it's like, I backed you over Sergius, my guy, and now you're, like, testing my faith and treating me like shit? Come on, man. Look, Margulis is just a simp for Jesus. It's fine. <laughs> Like, yeah, like he 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 is a true believer. And the reason Heinlein continues to use him that way is he keeps the majority of UTIC who are also true believer zealots in line. Right. Yeah. I mean, it sucks. But also, like, if you've got that kind of authoritarian personality, fuck you. Like, think for yourself, my dude. They are so loyal that when they explode into clouds of blood, their last word is Ormus. (laughs) 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 all right so the exposition uh the vessels of anima were apparently scattered throughout the cosmos when lost jerusalem vanished and ormus thinks of them alongside the zohar as the keys to finding humanity's birthplace once more Uh, that is uh yeah lost jerusalem aka earth thus they are collecting them all like pokemon (laughs) no no lost jerusalem is earth we have to we've really got to stop giving israel money (laughs) but there (laughs) if you're an anarchist the entirety of the planet being israel is good because there's only one state to destroy (laughs) (laughs) well yeah i mean you know it's it's like a it's like what do you call that like a, a synecdoche right where like a part stands in for the whole. Right. Yeah. Like where it's, it's like, you know, lost Jerusalem is like, well, Jerusalem is the Holy land and earth as a whole for these people in space who have a concept of like the world being thousands upon thousands upon thousands of planets. Like, you know, in that scale, it makes sense to be like, Oh yeah. Like the whole, this one planet is like actually just like Jerusalem. Which makes it funnier that there's like several entries in the database just about Kenya. It's like the Holy Land, which also contains Kenya. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Toronto, Canada. Don't forget yeah. that. That That is where humanity made a catastrophic contact with God. Toronto. <laughs> yeah. I'm really trying to... 
I gotta look up that database entry really quick so we can that can be the database entry of the day. It's incredible. Like where is it like in Etobicoke or is it like or sorry Etobicoke or is it like you know downtown Toronto? Like I just imagine like you know going on all of those horribly congested highways out into the suburbs. Like yep, gonna go contact God today. I'm stuck in traffic. Anyway, amazing. I honestly want to know, like, how did they decide that? Of all the places you could have chosen, it could have been, like, Indiana or something and just been equally ridiculous. I, God, I forgot that they call it the University of Bormio. That's so fucking funny to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. Okay, so the project is behind schedule and Suo claims it's nothing to do with Mizrahi's hesitance. It's that they have only one Fibronia for testing. Uh, a single point of failure. Kevin immediately goes bloodthirsty again, claiming they can make another in a week. Dude, you have a timetable. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Margulis asked why they don't just use the patients. And so it lays out something which doesn't seem to have come up at all prior. Fear. We use realians because they feel no fear. Margulis replies, I'm very aware realians feel fear. And then Kevin <laughs> says that all things fear death, but realians are subconsciously connected to each other, never rejecting one another. And so even without a body, that bond holds them strong. They're like the sensate people. Wait. Which yeah. makes eating one even more of a horrible war crime. Yes. Oh uh -huh. my god, yes. And uh -huh. it, also, it also makes it interesting because Mizrahi, who has been instrumental in kind of orchestrating the design of a lot of Realian stuff, just recently discovered that the UMN works the same way for humanity, but we are isolated because of fear, and so we don't feel that until we're already dead and so like the realians and the humans have another parallel here it's just that the realians have a leg up on us yeah they experience it like in sync with their lives whereas right. we experience we experience our disconnectedness but we latently are connected through the Jungian subconscious yep. and yep. uh we and just like Shinji we cannot accept our unity with others. At this point, uh, Suo lays out that Udu causes a primal fear in humans, more so than that of death, and we are literally describing AT fields or absolute terror fields. <laughs> Realians immune to tempering because they've been tempered by the collective unconscious. Yeah, I'll just... The the notes are drawing a lot of parallels to Evangelion in what... Feels, it's, it's Sybil's not here to to defend herself or explain herself, but it feels like kind of in a disparaging way, like, oh gosh, Xenosaga is just ripping off Ava here. And I want to say that it still feels like its own thing. I can feel yeah. the Ava influence a bit, like, or a lot, but it doesn't feel like just a one-to-one ripoff to me. Yeah, it's it's like Ideon to Ava until you get to be invoked, right? right. Like it's a mixing, it's like a mixing in with your own existing thing to like really enhance and give you a bunch of shorthand vibes. Totally. And yeah. I mean, Xeno Saga is like kind of the tail end of Sekai K as a genre. 
Like mm. it, it's kind of the last big one, and it definitely doesn't exist without Ava existing. So totally. it's okay to be like influenced by the thing that created the genre you're working in. Yeah, and for Sybil later, I'm I'm sorry if I'm misrepresenting the tone of your notes. No, I think I think Sybil definitely appreciates this. To be honest. You got to remember, despite being told not to, Sybil watched like six versions of End of Evangelion so she could add two extra bullet points about differences between versions. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, and also, like, I just want to say, like, obviously, Xenosaga has a completely different take on things than Ava. Like, you get to the end of Xenosaga, the message is very different from Ava. <laughs> it's like, yes. yeah, it's definitely, it's got its own opinions and statements. Totally. So, yeah. Continuing on, Suo mentions that a certain company has agreed to lend support suddenly. Yeah, pretty uh, pretty hard to guess which one when there's literally only one company. That's not true. The Hyams company exists. <laughs> okay, we'll we'll get to that. I mean, I know. Well, actually, I, like, actually, that's not true because the Hyams company is also just you, Chick. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> And also, Utic is dot, dot, dot. Yeah. So, Margulis cuts the crap. Vector, I presume. Is it safe? So, all they want are results. That's the only thing any business cares about. Oh, Suo. Thank goodness this is a fantasy and not real. <laughs> yeah. Silly, silly Suo thinking that capitalism is running things here. <laughs> 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 Much like real life, it's actually an extremist religious minority that's in charge. <laughs> and also, like, it's it's like the idea that results are the only thing that business. Yeah, that's not even an analysis of capitalism. That's just bullshit. That's definitely <laughs> not true. Businesses don't care about results in many ways. <laughs> <sighs> After the cutscene, we get to walk another entire empty room. Before we wind up in another cutscene, but it's pre-rendered this time. Ooh la la. The professor fucks around with a terminal a little bit, and then a bunch of Ava-style holes in the floor open up to reveal the 11 vessels of Anima mar in marked slots with the names of all the ESs, except for Asher, because it's not here. Shion's upset because these were supposed to be vector-developed, and she goes like, yeah, no, they were in on it. Margulis just said so. Were you paying less <laughs> attention than Chris Taylor? Come on. Uh, <laughs> in the middle of this display, the professor just just fucking brains Junior with a wrench. <laughs> yeah. I was like, my God. No wonder he's like this. <laughs> and he says, everyone shut up and stop babbling. Prep the ESs to get them out of here. And like, how did they get in here? They don't have any power. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, ostensibly, yeah, I don't know. I don't fucking know. Because at first I was like, how are they going to get these out of here? These are large. And then the game said, we'll do it by doing another dumber, less sensical thing. Yeah. Right, because they, they need those vessels of anima to, to be powered at all. And they... Yeah, they have to get in the robot. Right, and they can't be UMN teleported either, can they? Nope. Could they be miniaturized still? Oh, I believe you mean reduced to plank scale, please. Uh, oh. Yes. Could they be <laughs> reduced to plank scale? <laughs> well, we're already plank scale. 
that's we would we would be plank scaling the plank scale. Look, it's like in it's like in set theory how you can have an infinity of infinities inside an infinity, right? Yeah, correct. <laughs> While the vessels are installed in the other robots, Junior asks, "What about the Asher?" And Scott and Professor. Uh, shoot down any concerns, saying, much like our repairs to Cosmos, we've got an alternative for it in the form of repurposing Erde Kaiser tech. Just to let you know, Junior, you won't be able to use your awakening in the boss fight, and it will make it take a lot longer. And <laughs> Junior begins going, what? No, Chaos, say something. And Chaos is like, it's not like we have a choice. And besides, they know what they're doing. And this becomes super funny later, yeah. because Professor and Scott just begin fucking loving this shit. And then the alarm goes off. (laughs) Professor's like, of course it did. We're using their mainframe, stealing their technology. It's like sending a message saying we're using your stuff without permission. Chaos just goes, oh, well, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. It is extremely good. Chaos is very good for comedy because of the way he is. Yeah, it's just like, look. I mean, I've seen a lot of shit, so I'm just gonna... I I continue to have faith in humanity despite everything, so... Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is nothing. (laughs) I'm not gonna lie, the Chaos voice actor is growing on me now. I kind of like it now. Mm. Did not like it at the beginning of Xenosaga 2, because he was doing gruff voice, but I like it now. That's good. Undub continues to have good voice acting all around, as far as I can tell. Yeah, but they call him Alan Coon. That is, yeah, they do disqualifying. <laughs> well, it's, it's well, what you would call him, though, right? In yeah, in Japanese, it makes sense. It does, but it is it hits different if we're thinking Alan Coon in the weeb sense and not in the in Japanese sense. That's all, right? It's just <laughs> well, I, I've, I have been called so like <laughs> what? Just to give some context, when I was a graduate student in university my professor used to call me kaidukun so you know it's it's just it's just normal totally yeah it it absolutely makes sense it's it's just funny outside of that context yeah 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 on the way out all of the es's glow again but this time it is the craft quote resonating with the pilot's will instead of shutting down and dying like the last time and chaos begins muttering under his breath Wilhelm, what are you trying to use this power for? And a very convenient dialogue update tells us that we now have level two anima vessel awakenings on every mech except for Asher. Right, because they don't resonate in the cutscene, which is like, at least you're taking at least you're taking your made up stuff very seriously, which I appreciate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I like that there is a gameplay consequence for this plot thing that's happening. I think that's very cool. It just also only means that Asher is going to be my backup in case any of the other ESs die. And it will be Jin's because of how the <laughs> boss fight works. <laughs> I'm also not really clear like why this happens. <laughs> well, they're, they're, doing, they're synchronizing. Don't worry about it. It's the right, first time right. they got in the Ava. Yeah, right. They're drift compatible. OK, got it. Yeah, it is interesting because the game kind of implies oh, no, that there are two people in there. Yep. The game kind of implies that they are being pulled like the ESs are moving for them, which is like a little bit scary and out of control for them. Which is interesting. Well, also that they are they bring back that, um, like Virgil said, they are compelled to pilot it by the vessel yeah. of Anima itself. Yes. Right. But that was 
also true before. So yeah. Mm. But it's mm. it, because it's more powerful now. My guess is that they feel more compelled in a way that is that is disturbing to them. It's just like, oh shit, I'm actually feeling it now, Mister Krabs. So the lore, the lore reason why this is happening now is because this is an old. These are alternate universe vessels of anima that they haven't synced with before, unlike the uh, ones that got uh, stolen away. Yeah, I was thinking like maybe this is like if you go through a time loop and you like double activate them, they are even more powerful. Something like that. I don't know. But yeah, that's that's well cool. I guess they get do get to double synchronize with it, right? Because they've synchronized yeah. with one before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Hmm. Well, it makes as much sense as it could. At this point, we have gameplay again. This is the mech size part of the dungeon. The mech side of the dungeons in Xenosaga 3 continue to be more boring than the human scale stuff. There aren't like but puzzles really or anything. In Xenosaga 3, there's a little icon that shows the person and then the rotate arrows and then the robot. So you know where you can get in and out and it's not a total mystery. Shout yeah, outs. That is, that is a godsend. So Mm -hmm. because we haven't been in the robot for a while, the very first thing that we do is go in and equip all of our good shit, all of our ES gear that we found around town and in this dungeon. In a security room near the surface, Pellegree is in charge as the report of the theft comes in. She tells the troops to deploy an interstellar weapon system immediately because they, quote, must capture the AMWSs at any cost, wondering how anyone could have ES tech before they did because we're from the future and she doesn't know that. The rest of the dungeon... Well, yeah, she specifically thinks it's the Federation that because so it like implies that there is a race between the Federation and UTIC for this technology that all of the backroom Illuminati type people know about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the rest of the dungeon is basically just wide hallways and narrow hallways and then like one section at the very end that has a series of three hallways with roadblocks and a couple of pickups that's not really a maze or a puzzle. It's just a slowdown machine. Basically just fodder if you want to grind or try out the new ES skills on the way to the boss. It's pretty simple. There's a save point and a shop at the end. And then the other thing is that there's mech enemies and there's floating cannon enemies. The floating cannon enemies are extremely easy. And the mech enemies mirror a boss mechanic where if they are guarding, then there is a chance that if you hit them with a close physical attack, they will counter for several thousand damage. There is, handily enough, an accessory on sale that prevents that. It is called the D-Kill R accessory, and it nullifies enemy counters. And this is going to be really useful soon. Uh, Unfortunately, I'm not going to go back and get it because the room with the three hallways has about 25 minutes of enemy encounters in it. (laughs) And I would rather die than do that again. Yeah, it's a lot. (laughs) But the new generators, because you can get new generators and armor for all your ESs, the new generators let you use your strongest move twice a turn now. Yeah, which is great. 
Yeah. So as the party makes for the surface and escapes, the Dina begins picking up enemy transmissions and Cosmos tunes in per Xion's request. The only things they can clearly pick out on the chatter are that they're going to try another sync test and the name Aoi Uzuki. So Xion hops out of the mech and heads back into the building. Everyone turns around and begins trying to stop this, but they suddenly have a larger problem, namely Omega Universitas. So this is uh, not a hard battle. This is even less of a hard battle if you have D-Kill R's equipped. Uh, doing but so it's so long. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, doing so means you're taking less hits overall on a boss who only has minimal moves. The moves that they have are uh, Ether Wave, the only multi-target attack it has, which is a weak Ether attack to everyone. Martial Flight, a physical punching of one mech. And then later on, the only threat, Black Wave, a physical damage charge, which will always be followed up with Super Martial Ring, a brutal beating of one target. If Black Wave goes off, immediately guard, because Super Martial Ring is a move that has a one-hit KO potential when charged. Always deployed charged. Uh, yeah, and that, I mean, that's the whole fight, but uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so a couple of things is, you know, we kind of brushed over it, but if you don't have the D-Kill R's equipped, this mech boss has a really, really high counter percentage. If you go and do a close physical attack, like more than half the time, it's it's going to hit you back for several thousand damage. And if it's like also the first hundred percent in phase two, basically. Yeah. And if you are opening with a physical attack and then have additional attacks that you've queued up, it that first counter will also cancel the rest of your attacks. And so yep. if you don't have the D-Kill R's equipped, ranged attacks to build up your anima gauge to then do awakening is very useful. And in addition, all of the level two anima attacks are all. Uh, they are our target all. And they're very powerful, but the anima level one attacks that are single target will do slightly more damage. And especially because you can then pair two together. And so... Yeah. Mm -hmm. Another good strategy is to use missiles and lasers to build up the anima gauge. When it's at two, you just activate level one, do the special move, then activate level one again and do the special move again. So this boss has a lot of HP, and so it can take a while, but, you know, there's some tips and tricks here. I squeezed out a little more damage by using the medium tier weapons because they have a really high um, combo chance. Yes. So you can get more damage that way. Also, these notes say... There's not even anything to steal, which is an extremely cursed concept because it never occurred to me that if you put Xion in the correct robot, you can steal from <laughs> mech bosses. And now that's a thing you got to think about. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. wow. So thanks for ruining all of these for the rest of me for the entire game. <laughs> At this point, Omega Universitas starts charging up for something and then shuts down being recalled. However, everyone in the facility has now charged up as a bajillion reinforcements come up and the numbers are too much. Junior, for some reason, is very worried about Xion for the first time in his life. And <laughs> even Jin at this point is saying, my sister is an adult, she can handle herself. And then finally, Junior gives in and everyone retreats. Inside the building, Xion... Oh. I do want to bring one thing up. Go ahead. The, is the Omega the F-35 of the Xenosaga universe? No, because they finish it several times. Oh, right. And it does Sorry. rock. 
<laughs> is actually good yeah. and blows up a planet and probably works in the rain. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's more it's more like the uh, it's more like the hydrogen bomb of the Xenosaga. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a payoff at the end as opposed to yeah. just more money down the tube. Right. I did laugh in Resident Evil 8 when you blow up the thing with an N2 mine. Very good to me. <laughs> <laughs> Inside the building, Xion is heading for the convenient. I'm pretty sure this elevator goes to mom's room where there will be a solo boss fight passage. And it turns out it didn't go to mom's room. She is sneaking past some guards and making good progress across the floor when she hears Xion. And she turns at the sound of her name and oh shit, it's the Red Testament. And in what may be the new dumbest thing she has ever said, she goes, how dare you call me by my name? Like, excuse me? <laughs> For the undub, is this like, sorry. Did uh, he actually call her Shion instead of Uzuki? Yeah, instead of Uzuki-san or Uzuki calling her Shion in that like super familiar sense. Yes. Okay, yes. okay. Yeah, I, I figured this that, was a I cannot express this in English problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This, is a, this is a given name, not a family name type situation. Yeah, And with no yeah. suffix, like no honorific, just Xion, as in like, I'm fucking you kind of meaning. Yeah. Let's go. Well, right. Yes. Literally there, there and is, figuratively. There is an implied intimacy there that I see now, like that why the dub would not uh, pull that off. Yeah. It comes off as very weird. I might have just removed that. <laughs> and at this point, the Red Testament unmasks, and it's fucking Kevin. Shout outs to the shot where they zoom in on Xion's shocked face and you see Kevin reflected in her anime God, eyes. Very is, good. It's also there that these PS2 models are doing so much emotive acting with very yeah. little. It's this this is so good. She looks fucking crestfallen. It's great. It's, you know what it has is that it very powerfully evokes that like zoom into Trinity in the phone booth when the truck is coming. That's <gasps> yes! what it made me think of. Oh my mm. god, what a pull! Totally. And what's great about this is that this is something that we, the audience, have known for a long ass time. And this episode, this chapter, which is it's episode eight, it's chapter six, is what Xenosaga three calls it. This episode has just been like revelation after revelation, and it's all stuff that has either the payoff of dramatic irony that we've always known beforehand, or something that we could ostensibly put together from the database finally being revealed to the main plot. And like all these wheels are just turning, and it <laughs> feels so good. You know what's funny is that they get to double dip on the Kevin reveal when she finds out that that dickhead scientist is also Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> I also love how how uh, young Kevin and Roth Mantel are like identical personality. <laughs> oh yeah, fucking twerp ass little bitches. Exactly. <laughs> Kevin says, "I've come back for you, Shion." But before she could say anything about this, all of her screaming has alerted the guards, and she's just gets held in place by a horde of faceless goons while yelling, Kevin, help me. And then it's very funny because one of the guards is like, who looks behind her and goes, what the fuck is she talking about? Uh, and the screen fades to black over what the notes describe as her feudal feminine foiling. Gross. <laughs> gross. So another little undub note, once she recognizes him and gets real mad, but then like once the goons take her and she's calling out for help, she calls him senpai which was a little knife twist of like, you know, she Sick. went 
she went right back into vulnerable mode when she realized it was Kevin instead of being like, hey, fuck you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Real sad. <laughs> Fucking Lord, help me. I got to go back to the old me. <laughs> Uh, uh, the the trajectory of Xenosaga is from poor Alan to poor Shion. Yeah. Poor Alan! He's getting cooked by a uh, ghost! Yes. <laughs> uh-huh. Is this really the monkey's paw of Notice Me, Senpai? Yeah. It's like you're noticed by Senpai, but Senpai is a fucking evil ghost. <laughs> when yeah. you feel too noticed by Senpai. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any any exciting party developments? Uh no. I'm I'm still kind of like weaving everybody in and not settling on a on a main three, and that might come back to bite me later. I'm not sure. The, it won't because you're getting the same amount of XP and SP. Yeah. Yeah. I I pretty much just gravitate to using either junior or chaos depending on the dungeon and what type of enemies are in there and otherwise i'll just like use whoever so that i can swap people in and out of the party and and not have to spend items mm-hmm. i'm still only using Xianjin and cosmos because a they're cool and b i prefer to use people who are the most important to the plot right yeah that, that was my my first playthrough party for sure let me yeah. tell you what Fucked me over big time in Chrono Cross when you have <laughs> two of your guys, two of the main plot guys are Dark Element. Very bad when you fight Indiana Jones. Yeah. I do remember some party chat from this episode, which is that there are a few machine enemies, machine type, but almost yeah. all of the enemies are not only biotype, but also human. And so Shion and uh, Ziggy both can absolutely wreak havoc on most it's, of the regular goons it's so funny when you neck snap a guy who's like floating 10 feet off the ground <laughs> yeah. in a machine it's so also good. fuck those things because yeah. they have every turn they do like 500 damage and like 80 percent of your break gauge yeah no they they are annoying and should always be the first priority so yeah also but, like Shout outs to G Shot being level five, where it one shots one of those spider bots from full oh, health in the front. God. <laughs> well, the thing that I kind of came into contact with in this dungeon is because we just got Cosmos back, she is a few levels below the rest of the party, which means that she has a lot less EP. And so I had to use EP up items or swap her out when she ran out of EP way faster than everybody else That's... by using her abilities. That's if why I've been only using skill ups on her. Got it. If you read the um, the database description of each of the character designs, that's also just Cosmos's character design, which is like she's strong, but in pretty much every way, but has low EP. Yeah. Yeah, she's got to be plugged in. Otherwise, she only has three minutes of battery. <laughs> Wrapping it up, do we have any closing thoughts on this section? It fucking rocks to me. Yeah, mm-hmm. I loved this. It, Chris, you mentioned before recording that you wanted to maybe touch on... Oh, yeah. Xenosaga okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Xenosaga 3 dungeons are the worst dungeons in the series. Not because they're bad, but because Xenosaga 2 dungeons fucking rock, except for the part where you're doing Xenosaga 2 combat in them. Yeah. But, like, the dungeons themselves... Like every new screen has completely new enemy mix ups and pods and a new puzzle, probably. And Xenosaga 1 
while closer to really standard generic dungeons are all like really interesting in some way, either by having an awful 12 notes of music or by being <laughs> really large and evocative like cathedral ship. Yeah, they all have mm-hmm. something like really interesting going on. And this is just a dungeon ass dungeon. Yeah. And it's fine, except for the part where Zeno Saga three loves annoying speaker voices. This is a whole game made up <laughs> oh, of Albert Holmes. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> Which is, it's so funny because it's it's so much less obnoxious in the undub just because they are words that I don't inherently understand and so they are easier to tune out and become part of the background noise. What's that mm. you say? The security level is A? I wonder what it will be like in 30 seconds from now. <laughs> oh shit, still security level A. <laughs> I remember flying out of Kansai International Airport and the speaker announcements were almost on Xenosaga level three (laughs) level of repetitive and annoying. It was just like, no. Yeah. It's so weird that they played Final Fantasy X and we're like, you know, that dungeon where they had the voice clip of the guy that sounds like he's saying I'm annoying, huh? We should do that the whole time. I love in that every song. dungeon. I love that song. Well, the Weird. song is good, but okay. not the guy saying I'm annoying her for an hour and a half. All right, that's fair. I largely agree with you, but Labyrintho stood out to me as being particularly well paced and having good dungeon ecology throughout, even if aesthetically it was kind of bland. I liked the one puzzle that was here and also the plot dump to gameplay ratio was really balanced with the exception of one long series of cutscenes in between human scale and robot scale. But everything else, it just like, it moves along at a good clip, but it doesn't feel like it is pushing you forward down a hallway. It still felt like exploring a dungeon. But like, all that being said, I do largely agree with you that the dungeons in Xenosaga 3 are the worst in the series, but everything else is better. It's weird how they Zeno Saga 1 is known for being all plot all the time. And Zeno Saga 3 is almost the exact same ratio. They just get away with it by moving some of it into the dungeon every other room. Right. Yes. Which mm-hmm. feels good. Yeah, it, does. No, it, it works. It works. Yeah. Especially here where it's like it's all bangers. Like, as yeah, as except except go. for that one time you only go through one empty room. That was yeah. very annoying. <laughs> that, <laughs> that that was a little annoying. Let's do commercials. Cool. Kyle, tell me your commercials. Uh, Yes. uh, So I host the podcast General Intellect Unit on the Emancipation Network uh, podcast, and I guest on some of their other shows. So yeah, General Intellect Unit is a podcast about cybernetics and Marxism, technology and Marxism. Uh, We basically talk about what is going on in the tech world, how it relates to Marxist or other interesting theory, and how we can use cybernetics to organize our way out of this shit world that we live in. Huge recommend. Thank you. And I will also shout out the Anticiplay project, uh, which is a project that I am currently working on, and we are working to bring together game design and uh, Future's work to also try to get ourselves out of this shit world. Uh, so we have a Discord, we have a Twitter, you can check out Anticiplay on Twitter and uh, find us there. And we have like regular sort of game design 
slash game industry meetings that we do monthly. So you can come join there and, and hopefully uh, make better games to uh, unfuck things in some way. Rad. I've really enjoyed the episodes of General Intellect Unit that I have listened to. It's so funny that you slum it on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, we also like have like a Star Trek podcast, which is pretty similar to this. So, you know, <laughs> also slumming it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can listen to music I make at Catastrophizer or my band with my friend Nick at canonandavarin.bandcamp.com. Bandcamp Friday is starting up again as of February 2022. So I'm not saying buy my music. I'm just saying, hey, if you do buy music, Bandcamp Friday is a great thing. <laughs> I don't. Do I'm not. Music, a, make sure it's my mine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm not affiliated with Bandcamp. I just, I just like them. Yeah, well, yeah, they can say fucking rock. You get to subscribe to Amulets on there. Hell yeah. You could. <laughs> Shout out to Amulet's a band I listen to, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you can listen to Riot and Ice podcast icons and icons by visiting our Patreon at pitchdrop.cash and kicking in as little as a buck a month. It's this podcast, but about Final Fantasy XIV, the MMO, and I put in a disproportionate amount of effort despite it that only costing 50 cents an episode. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's all until next time when we'll be talking about more Milshed hijinks, stopping at the save point immediately after the church battle outside the old transportation gate. If you do more than that, that's your problem. I hope you like hours of cutscenes, I guess. I love the Peace out, fuckers. <laughs> what? I love the implication of the words church battle when thinking about uh, the house battle and train battle from Final Fantasy 7 and 6, respectively, and just like yeah. battling Who a knows? physical church as a boss. Okay, Xenosaga is the series where it could be a battle in the church where you kill the Pope because you already did that, or you're battling the physical church because yeah. you also already did that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Bye. God, How many ways can we kill or dethrone God? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Oh, we didn't even talk about how the how the thingies are supposed to attach to the Zohar. What up with that? Oh, right. Oh shit. Yeah. Oh my god. I, do we have anything about that? No, I hang on. I don't know. The the vessels of anima, right? Yeah. yeah. That's what I that's what I said. The thingies. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot in the previous episode about that. Oh. Well, in the previous episode, they talk about it as like a translator between it and people, and not yes. that they used to be an absolute unit. Right. <laughs> yes. An absolute unit. That's true. I'm just going to control F for Zohar. Is it when they were like, were they an absolute unit? And no, like, no, no, no. This never came up in the notes. What the it fuck? It wasn't in the notes at all, though. No. That seems very important. Yeah. I'm trying anyway. to remember, but is it like they were an absolute unit in redacted times? Is that I thing? don't know. Don't I don't know. I don't remember anything about this game. I'm trying to make a podcast about it without <laughs> catching spoilers all the time. Yeah. Oh, also database entry of the week. Nephilim, the illusionary girl who was repeatedly appeared before Shion with the sound of a chime. She existed as a human during the era of lost Jerusalem. Love how Shion has like a magical plot exposition clicker. <laughs> and also she 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 didn't just exist in lost jerusalem she was a perontonian i'm i'm that's i'm continuing at that time the zohar was excavated from lake turkana which is in kenya 
and it shipped to Toronto, Canada, <laughs> where its analysis <laughs> began after it had been discovered that the Zohar produced tremendous energy in response to specific brainwave length. Everyone became fixated upon finding a method to extract it. Can't believe that. Systems programmer Grimoire Verum completed the control program Lemagetan based on the ancient language that had been unearthed from the same ruins as the Zohar. <laughs> the system went out of control during a control experiment, more like an uncontrol experiment, and the young girl participating in the experiment became the first to disappear. The disappearance phenomena continued to expand, eventually erasing all of Earth from dimensional space. The girl who disappeared at this time was none other than Nephilim. And there's more here that I'm not going to read because it's a spoiler and I managed to not read it personally. Mm. Hell yeah. Shoutouts to how Toronto, Canada... And Lake Turkana, Kenya, warrant a name drop when Borneo does not. <laughs> Bormio! Well, to be fair, that's a good name for a college. Yes, it is. It bores me, yo. Peace out, <laughs> fuckers. Bye. Bye. And wait for tomorrow.